Hi there and welcome to ClickCast, the podcast that aims to amplify the needs and voices of women with lived experience of selling or exchanging sex during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Anna, the development worker with Click, and Click is a service that supports women across Scotland who sell or exchange sex. It's an inclusive service of trans women and non-binary people who prefer to access services for women. Me and my colleague Shannon are here with the sixth episode of ClickCast, this time looking at the sexual health needs of women. As ClickCast is recorded at home, there may well be some additional sound effects from pets or lawns being mown outside, so please do bear with us as today we turn to look at sexual health. We may at times talk about issues that are quite difficult, and we may also, unsurprisingly, talk about sex. So hi and welcome to ClickCast. As I mentioned, I'm Anna and I'm here with my colleague Shannon. How are you doing today, Shannon? Hi Anna, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. I've got a wee bit of a um, nice throaty cough, not COVID. Um, so I do apologise if my voice goes kind of husky at any point during this recording, but <laughs> it's definitely that time of year. Things are a bit darker. I think everybody's feeling it a bit just now. Over at Click at the moment, we're right in the middle of um, doing another needs assessment and that's going to inform our final episode of ClickCast which is coming out next month which is going to be again looking at what women's needs are right now but this week what we're going to be talking about is the issues that women have faced around their sexual health and well-being during the coronavirus pandemic. Sexual health might be that area that people traditionally think of when they think of women that sell or exchange sex they may automatically think that is women's most urgent needs all the time but the reality is that having access to sexual health care that meets our rights and needs and it's in somewhere that we are able to access kind of easily, having access to routine SCI testing, your contraception, but also like your more time sensitive services as well, like abortion care, HIV treatment and support as well with experiences of rape or sexual assault. So it's so important to everyone's wellbeing that those sexual health services are there. It's also about sexual health care as being a place that sees us as more than our reproductive organs as well and kind of seeing our, our health more holistically, that our, our sexual health isn't just this physical thing that's linked to our physical bodies. Just providing really that space to like talk about your feelings, what emotions are coming up for you and having skilled specialist staff there as well to kind of help you develop like your own coping strategies for that kind of thing as well. I think absolutely you're right and I think actually sexual health although it's something and you know sex generally is something that us as a country still have some rather old-fashioned approaches to I think when we're when we're discussing it in the public and in the media and there's we're not always able to have open conversations about sex and sexual relationships or sexual well-being however like sexual health and sexual health services actually have quite a lot of contact with people at different points during their lives because although not everybody will, will be having you know sexual relationships in their life a lot of us are and you know although I don't want to bring it back to that kind of reproductive sort of model 
certainly if if a woman is pregnant or if she has an abortion or you know if she needs a smear all of these are points in a woman's life and I'm aware that you know there'll be similar points within a man's life as well where sexual health actually is a point of contact and a point at which like you say Shannon it should be that that people feel comfortable going in there and having open and honest conversations about their situations and relationships. A voice that you'll be hearing a lot um, in this episode of the podcast is Dr Alison Scott and she's a consultant gynaecologist with the Wishes Clinic in Edinburgh. So Wishes stands for the Women's Inclusive Sexual Health Extended Service. And Alison had a lot to say um, around about that role of sexual health being a space where women are seen as whole people and it's a space that's really guided by the women's individual needs. So when I was sort of trained in gynaecology and in sexual health, it, it was very much reproductive focused. I, I feel that model is completely outmoded on lots of different levels. Women are about more than just reproduction. And we need to see that woman as a person. And I'd say this to trainees time and time again, that it's not good enough to see any woman who turns up and, you know, she says she's here for a smear test. You do the smear test, off you go. Next. In sexual health, we have huge opportunities to look at women's well-being generally. So I think sexual health is pivotal, but I think it's really important that rather than the clinician who's seeing the woman addressing what the clinician is comfortable with, which might be giving contraception according to guidelines, um, actually the clinician needs to let the woman dictate what's going on and, and ask her what, what her needs are and then take that from there. Unfortunately, like many, many things in our lives, the pandemic has had an impact on how these sexual health services can operate and be delivered. And understandably, this has had a significant impact on the sexual health of women. For this podcast, we also spoke to Heather Cumberland, who is the community engagement lead at HIV Scotland. And she let us know a wee bit more about how the pandemic has impacted women's sexual health. Very early on, there were studies coming out to say these are the risks, these are the things that might happen if we reduce sexual health services. And it could be seen very quickly coming to pass that people were, by both services closing, but also by people not wanting to access services and putting themselves at risk, that they weren't able to access contraception, they weren't able to access condoms, they weren't able to access testing. And I think these things do really affect women who are, generally speaking, meant to be the ones who are responsible for sexual health. And there's a lot of pressure on women to do that. I think there was a study that showed that people buying contraception online was up by 35% in the UK, which is massive. But that means that those are the people that can afford to pay for their contraception. There are many people who are not able to do that. And that comes into things as well, like the morning after pill, being able to you know, avoid unwanted pregnancies, but also access to things like PEP, which for people that are more at risk of HIV, PEP is um, post-exposure prophylaxis, which basically means that it's a pill that you can take within 72 hours of having sex or at being at risk of HIV. And people didn't have access to that. And so then they're more at risk of contracting HIV when you can't get this, this pill that you have access to. And I think that that definitely applies as well to 
women who sell sex, um, not being able to access things such as PEP or being able to go on to PrEP, um, which is the pre-exposure prophylaxis, which for women, if you are on PrEP, you have to take every single thing. Um, and not that, that service actually in Scotland closed. Um, so there was nobody able to then go on to PrEP during the pandemic, which has massive knock-on effects. An important point to clarify here, just around the prescription of both PrEP and PEP, is that it actually depends on the individual's level of risk. So when um, trying to access PrEP and PEP, a clinician will have a discussion with you and carry out an assessment to actually assess your risk. And actually not everyone automatically qualifies for either PEP or PrEP, and that includes women involved in selling or exchanging sex. Many women have literally had no option but to continue seeing clients face to face during the pandemic. And that means that having access to appropriate and effective sexual health care, which actually meets their rights and needs, has actually never been more crucial. We know that for some women who sell or exchange sex, actually they've not seen sexual health as a safe place to discuss their situations or feelings. Um, and that is even kind of going prior to the, the pandemic. Access to services for women, um, and particularly, you know, we're, we're talking about a specialist clinic for women who sell or exchange sex. That actually varies widely, kind of depending on which part of Scotland you're in. So some of the big cities have specialist clinics, but this isn't replicated across kind of more rural areas of Scotland or smaller towns or smaller cities as well. Today, we'll be hearing how sexual health care has had to adapt during the pandemic. But we also will be hearing from women about their experiences of this care, as well as kind of, I think, kind of most importantly, what women would like to see change within sexual health and well-being provision as Scotland moves forward through this pandemic. I think we can all agree that it is always important for all of us to have access to safe, secure and confidential sexual health care. And it's always important then for women who sell or exchange sex to have access to safe, secure and confidential sexual health care that actually really meets their rights and needs and is sort of tailored to them with them informing it. For some women, sexual health clinics might be the only service that they're actually tapped into. We've got priority clinics in Glasgow in the form of the G3 clinic, and in Edinburgh, we've got wishes that we've already mentioned. And for some women, they're almost sort of key hubs of support. So they're not only important in terms of, you know, the services that they're coming specifically for. So things like STI testing and um, things like talking through their kind of general sexual health and well-being. But they're also important places for helping to signpost women into other areas of support as well. Here's Alison to tell us a bit more. A number of years ago, I set up a service because it kind of occurred to me that women who were at high risk of unintended pregnancies and sexually transmitted infections were struggling to access services because the services as they stood were appointment based and they were in a clinic which was in a really difficult place to access. So we set up a service within the Substance Misuse Directorate so that women who are coming for their methadone or their needle exchange could easily come in and get sexual health advice. And over the years it's grown and grown and we're now reaching out um, and trying to make the service available for women affected by homelessness, substance misuse, alcohol, uh, mental health problems, women involved in prostitution, um, women who've been in prison, 
or involved in criminal justice. So a few years ago, we rebranded. Instead of calling it the Women's Clinic, we call it WISHES, which stands for Women's Inclusive Sexual Health Extended Service. Because although we might think that sexual health is a huge priority for women, quite often they don't see that and their priority is getting a roof over their head or getting their kids to you know see their kids or getting some money and, and financial issues are always present so we work with sacro and with street work and with salvation army to try and address women's needs whether they be housing or benefits or whatever so that's the extended service part of it Alison spoke really strongly about how specialist sexual health services for her, in terms of the Wishes Clinic, can actually really be a place that women can just go and just be themselves. Many women involve prostitution of different personas, and it's quite exhausting for them being somebody's partner and somebody's mother and somebody's friend and the woman that some people pay to have sex with. And, and each role is very different, and they have to, to take on that role in order to be a different person and that can be exhausting and so just actually to come into clinic and sit down and have a cup of tea and just be Anna or Alison or, and just have a chat and not have to be someone and hide part of your life actually you know what we aim for is that you can just come in and just have a laugh have a cry you know and tell us what we can do to help you and relieve, relieve that stress of actually constantly having to Think about where you are and how you behave in that situation and what you've got to not talk about or talk about or do or not do. That, that you have the choice and the control to just be you. As I pointed out at the start of this episode and throughout this whole series of clickcasts as well, many women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex have had no choice but to continue seeing clients face to face throughout the pandemic. And importantly, women have had to continue seeing clients while sexual health services haven't been in a position to operate as normal. So initially in in lockdown, we were almost completely shut down, aside from urgent cases. Um, We then moved to trying to see vulnerable women, but it's very difficult. Again, it was the kind of, well, we're sitting here waiting for people to walk in the door. I think many areas of Scotland developed outreach teams. We had an IHOT inclusion health outreach team who went out to the hotels and hostels where homeless people were staying. But it's been very difficult. We've been very constrained in what services we're able to offer. Uh, We now have reopened wishes and that's now working, but you know, there are restrictions on how many women we can see. So we are having to do a kind of appointment model it's a sort of very soft appointment model but we need to watch how many women are in the building at the same time Um, and for sexual health generally of course a lot of our staff were pulled onto covid testing Uh, some of them have come back but they're now being pulled onto contact tracing because of the expertise of sexual health in doing contact tracing so we are short staffed Um, many areas of the country had their premises taken over uh, for other services to use. Um, Grampian, for example, had no premises for a very long time. So it has had a devastating effect on the delivery of services um, because of the pandemic, and it's difficult to get them back to exactly where we were before. 
Right now, there's a lot of phone and video consultations prior to receiving a face-to-face -face appointment. The reason for this being is so that sexual health services are able to reserve face-to-face -face appointments for emergency treatments. This change has been well received by some people because they've found phone and video consultations to be really flexible and it can fit in around their day really easily, so it's really met their needs. But for other people, there's a really big issue around about digital connectivity, and this is something that we spoke about in lots of different episodes of this podcast. A lot of people don't have access to a device in order to kind of do phone or video consultations or have the money for data, for example. But there's also issues around about privacy and people not feeling comfortable about having these phone and video consultations in their home. And through our sexual health survey on RISE at clickmagazine.online, something that's really been coming through from women is that they have had a really positive experience of accessing sexual health services before the pandemic. Women are reporting that they felt really comfortable disclosing to staff that they were involved in selling sex. They got regular checkups, they got condoms from them, everything was great. But many women have stated that during the pandemic, the care they've received has got worse. And generally, the main theme around this has been due to a lack of, of accessible care during this time, with one woman saying, there have been no services that I've been able to get during the pandemic, which means I've missed my more regular checks. I got condoms via the post from another service. Women's services have tried to meet the needs of women working in the pandemic, but NHS services have been closed, so testing, etc., has not been available. So in this context where women are having to continue seeing clients face to face, sexual health clinics aren't able to operate as normal. There's also been another kind of compounding factor around about that public health messaging around coronavirus, this message of stay at home, keep your distance, don't meet with other households. That messaging, even though it's important and it's based in science and it helps to kind of keep us safe and well, it's just fundamentally incompatible with the realities of many women um, who are involved in selling out change and sex who have, like we said, had no choice but to continue seeing clients face to face. And for some women, this has led to real increased anxiety about potentially being criminalised for going against the guidance when they've had no option but to in order to survive. And there's been as well a real stress around about contact, contact tracing for coronavirus and what will happen to my information, my information if I give that to a contact tracer. What does this mean for any clients I've had contact with? And so we're in this position where you've had this obviously national public health messaging campaign that's been guiding our behaviour for the past eight months. But this messaging wasn't backed up enough by effective and appropriate safety nets for women, like kind of longer term financial support. Any funding that's been made available has been really short term, like the Encompass Fund that's been delivered by Encompass Network Services like Click and Umbrella Lane's Emergency Fund. Here's Heather from HIV Scotland saying a wee bit more around about this public health messaging and how it didn't really fit into women's lives. In the same way as I feel that a lot of organisations had to scramble to change what they were doing, public health campaigns definitely scrambled <laughs> to put out messaging in a very uncertain world in a very uncertain time. And I think a lot of the messaging was very complicated for everybody. What I think for women who sell and exchange sex, 
that was really complicated because they had no protections afforded to them when it came to particularly finances. So the expectation was that we were all to socially distance, that we were to stay in our houses, that we weren't to go to work. And I think the realities of that for women who tell or exchange sex was not as set in stone because there was much more of a risk there of losing your livelihood, of not being able to have food, not being able to sign up to the, the furlough scheme. And I think that the messaging was completely without the voices of women who sell or exchange sex because people didn't want to hear that. Alison from the Wishes Clinic also had this to say. Public health certainly in Lothian were very clear about their messages about COVID, but also did these intensive outreach teams to hostels and hotels and as far as they could were trying to reach socially excluded women. Um, but those who are not living in hostels and hotels, it's how do we how do we reach them? And how do we find them as well? And some of them are on the streets and we can find them. But those who are on the internet or who are just you know known and their phone numbers are passed around, um, it's much more difficult to reach them. But it's it's difficult we have to try and keep people safe in all sorts of ways and you know the financial packages which SACRA were able to offer women were hugely valuable but that's not going to go on forever or more. We also spoke to Emma Thompson who is a specialist sexual health nurse at Sandyford Glasgow. She's part of their inclusion team and she runs the GFE clinic, a specialist clinic for people involved in selling or exchanging sex. And Emma's raised some concerns about how the public health messaging, because it hasn't been adapted to the needs of women who sell or exchange sex, the messaging could actually be acting as a barrier for women accessing sexual health care. So I think from what I, from what I have heard from women, I think there has been fear around disclosure of transactional sex. I think there's been fear about whether there'd be any uh, consequences or repercussions if because the, the guidance is that we shouldn't be having sex with people that we don't live with and I think there has been a lot of fear around disclosure of that. I really hope it, ha it hasn't stopped anyone coming in to G3. That's my hope but I think in reality it perhaps has. They may associate NHS with coronavirus with test and protect and is there a would there be any kind of communication, which there wouldn't be, absolutely not. There would be absolutely no disclosure, state protection, confidentiality stands. Coronavirus doesn't change that. But I think there, there will be naturally some fears around that, um, which I, I think would perhaps, unless there's a, an absolute need and a, 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 an issue that's causing somebody an obvious and, and um, an acute problem then they may well be feeling that they don't want to engage with any NHS council official services if they don't have to. Lots of people in order to maintain a job or keep a business going have had to do things that maybe haven't been quite following strict guidance um, but this isn't a lifestyle thing it's not in some you know, some people don't even feel it's a choice. It's something that it's the only way that they have of, 
of making money around this really difficult, difficult time. And also it's really stressful, I would imagine, having to have that close interaction with people who you don't necessarily know, who you don't have any um, knowledge of where they've been or if they've had risk. And your job means that you have to put yourself at that risk. We've already been speaking about how sexual health is holistic. It's not just related to our organs or to, you know, our, our reproductive organs, but actually it's a big part of our overall well-being. Right from the beginning of the pandemic, we've heard from women who sell or exchange sex that money is their most pressing need and it continues to be their most pressing need. That's what we're hearing from women still via Click. So we know that a lack of money has a huge impact on kind of every area of our lives. So if you're kind of not able to pay the rent, for example, if you have like housing instability, if you're not able to put food on the table, for, for women and their sexual health, what that means is that that might mean that they have to make a decision to offer services that they might actually not have offered prior to the pandemic, or they might not feel totally comfortable offering. So for example, we've heard of an increase in clients asking for bareback, which is sex without a condom. And that puts women's sexual health at risk. Um, it puts their sexual health at risk of STIs and bloodborne viruses as well. This is something that um, some of the workers that we've been speaking to for this podcast have also reflected back on with Alice and Scott here talking about how some of the women that she's been seeing at the Wishes Clinic have been talking about having to see a lot of clients at the moment to try and bank some money. I think it's shown a great big light on the issues around deprivation because those affected by deprivation have been most affected by COVID from the point of view of risk of disease, but also loss of income, financial difficulties, and difficulty in accessing services. And women are now coming to the clinic and saying that they are having lots of sex because they're trying to bank lots of money in case we go into lockdown again and then they lose their income again. So they're now working extremely hard, exhausting themselves, putting themselves at risk because they're frightened that we'll go back into lockdown and then they'll be left with nothing again. And this is something that is echoed by Emma at the G3 clinic in Glasgow, who has been seeing some women who have been talking about how money is still a massive worry for them. The first thing that people see is the, is the financial situation and the worry that they have over money. Some women who have been registered as um, self-employed have had government grants that has given them some security. But a lot of women have really, this is, this is their, they, they, they didn't have that safety net and there was a real worry and anxiety about how they were going to manage financially. So yeah, that, that was, a, that was a, probably the biggest thing, the first thing that people would come and tell me that, you know, when I was asking how they were and how they were coping, it would be just really worried about money and how we're going to get by and feeling bad that they've had, they've not been able to, um, they've had to, they've not been able to stick to the COVID rules in order just simply to make enough money to pay their rent and pay their bills. So this really shows the importance of long-term financial support that is ring-fenced for women that are involved in selling or exchanging sex. By providing that financial support, we'll be able to support so many other different areas of women's well-being. So like we're saying, other aspects of our lives, like our finances, for example, can have an impact on our sexual health, but it can also be flipped the other way around as well. Our sexual health can impact other areas of our lives. 
and something that Heather from HIV Scotland spoke a lot about was how the lack of access to routine testing right now, this has been having a real impact on mental health and wellbeing. Sexual health does have a, a big impact on mental health and we've had a lot of people contacting us with general sexual health concerns that are affecting their mental health during the pandemic because they don't have a place to turn to and to have that sort of holistic view of actually these things all relate to one another and we need to look at it more holistically I think has really come up during this time where we can see there is a definite lack of women's voices when it comes to sexual health services and a lack of a holistic approach to our overall well-being. We've kind of got to mention that there were already um, some issues or barriers for some women in accessing sexual health care kind of prior to the pandemic. And some of them have been kind of, you know, amplified or you know, compounded by the pandemic. So some of those barriers, we've kind of already briefly mentioned even in this podcast, one of them being that general kind of societal fear and embarrassment and kind of shame that still really strongly exists in our society around talking about sex. And some of that has led to sex itself being kind of medicalized, meaning that when we talk about reproduction and things like that, it's really that's the way that we, we, we view sex as a society. It's seen as a practical thing and not like, you know, a normal, pleasurable part of people's day-to-day -day lives. It's also really, really important to mention the barrier that um, stigma causes for women who sell or exchange sex. And that stigma might prevent women from accessing um, even a specialised um, sexual health clinic let alone accessing um, maybe a more generalised sexual health clinic that isn't specific for women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex. There's also some sort of specific barriers that are really worth mentioning for women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex and using substances. So a lot of women weren't accessing sexual health services prior to the pandemic and the pandemic has actually amplified existing risks around that. We spoke to Adrian Hanna, who is one of the training leads at Scottish Drugs Forum, who spoke a bit more about this. Certainly, if we're talking about women who use drugs and who sell or exchange sex, we know that they're not um, getting routine sexual health checkups. We know that they're not accessing contraception. Um, they're not using condoms. They're not getting um, STI and bloodborne virus checks. Uh, and part of that is about, it's about stigma, of course, um, and real or perceived stigma, of course, but if their experience in the past has been that they are not treated equally services, they're unlikely in the future to use that service. And to be fair to sexual health services, I think they have improved incredibly in terms with in terms of dealing with this vulnerable population. Over the years, they really have. But if you're a woman who's used a sexual health service some time ago and wasn't dealt with as equally and fairly as everyone else, so for example, if you've arrived at a sexual health service and you're a bit out of your face and you're asked to wait outside rather than in the waiting room, what are the chances of you ever coming back to that sexual health service again? Um, no matter how good it ends up being. 
So as well as some of these barriers, there's another one that we have already mentioned in this podcast, but which needs kind of digging into a little bit more. And that is the geographical difference in the provision of sexual health services across the whole of Scotland. There are some specialist services, as we've mentioned, in some of the bigger cities, but actually even a sexual health clinic generally, this is much more difficult for some people around the rest of Scotland. So if you're talking about people who live kind of more rurally or further away from some of those big city bases, for example, that means that sexual health um, advice and services can be actually particularly difficult for some women to access. And um, we have um, heard of some women who are having to travel quite big distances in order to get to sexual health clinics in the first instance, but also specifically for these specialist sexual health clinics as well. If you're a woman with lived experience of selling or exchanging sex, then we would love to hear from you. We've still got our survey up on our RISE platform, which you can access via clickmagazine.online. There's a link in the show notes of this podcast as well. Um, and on there, you can, you can come and really tell us a bit about your experiences with sexual health, how you've experienced them, how you've experienced them during the pandemic and what you think needs to change in order for services to better meet your needs. Thanks very much for taking the time to all the women who have already filled that survey out and taken part in the podcasts. So like we've heard already in this episode, many sexual health services had to close their doors at the start of the pandemic. Some premises were repurposed to support the initial COVID response and some staff were also moved to other areas of the NHS. But sexual health services in Scotland have worked really hard to be adaptive and flexible to make sure that women involved in selling or exchanging sex have access to high quality sexual health care during the pandemic. So the... A really important thing to say is that sexual health services didn't just change the way they approached delivering sexual health care to women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex. They changed how their whole service operated in order to make sure that those who would benefit most from still having face-to-face -face appointments during the pandemic were able to do that. So one example of that is like what we were saying before with the video and telephone consultations. Those worked really, really well for some people because they fit into their, their daily lives. But another aspect that was really flexible and is a really great example of meeting women where they're at is at-home testing. Um, so people were able to carry out their SCI testing at home. A pack was sent to their address and they're able to just mail that back. So again, this really fit in with people's day-to-day -day lives and also meant that women were given more options around about their sexual health care and crucially it freed up sexual health staff to be able to see people who would benefit from face-to-face -face, uh, appointments. And crucially it wasn't just at-home testing for SCIs that's been provided during this time, but also at-home testing for HIV through a really innovative partnership between HIV Scotland and Waverly Care. Here's Heather from HIV Scotland speaking a wee bit more about this partnership. We teamed up with Waverly Care and we created an online self-test system where you can order a self-test and then test at home and the results take 15 minutes. Um, we did this sort of thing here a bit and then, there's, then there is support for anybody who does test positive that is available in that situation. Um, for that, actually we had about 
25%. We don't take demographics of people, like we want to make it as anonymous as possible so that people are more comfortable using it. But if people are willing to give the, the demographics they can. So out of the people that did, there was about 2,000 people who have given demographic information uh, and of that 25% of them are women. So it does show that the need for women testing is that is there. Um, and I kind of had a sort of cursory glance at the reasons that women were testing. And it is just, the most common one is unprotected sex. That's, that's why, why women are wanting to be tested. And I think that that's, that's true in non-pandemic times and it is now. But that this, this really, and we had wanted to set up a system where people could order tests and it, you know, have that as an option in Scotland. But the pandemic really pushed that forward for us and made that a lot more accessible. And it's not only at home testing that can now um, be available to women, but also at home abortion care as well. And when we spoke to Adrienne Hanna, she said that these, these forms of outreach that we're currently seeing during the pandemic could lay really positive foundations for women's sexual health care and access to this care moving forward. We know that women who use drugs generally don't access sexual health services. And we know that women who use drugs and sell or exchange sex maybe are slightly more likely to access sexual health, but not greatly. And I don't think COVID changed that at all. Um, and I think, I know that some of the health boards, for example, um, in terms of termination services, um, there were services set up to take medication out to women who had an unintended pregnancy. But again, for the women that we're talking about, one, they probably wouldn't be aware that they were pregnant, and two, they are, we know that they don't access termination services in the same way that other women do. We know that women uh, from areas of deprivation are much, much less likely to access termination services they're much more likely to continue with their pregnancy. Increasing outreach is so important. Going to where people are at, rather than expecting them always to come to you, to your service. Um, and especially if, and we know, I've said that already, we know that the women we're talking about will have experienced discrimination and stigma when they have access services. So they're unlikely to come back. Uh, so it is really important that we go to them. And I think that is definitely, it, it, in some areas it had already started before COVID, but I think um, lockdown and COVID just made us realise we need to be doing better outreach with people. And another way that we've heard about is not just around those telephone appointments and kind of triaging that we've already heard about previously, but also we've heard about services providing telephone outreach. So that's much more about checking in with women, not just about their sexual health needs, but also about their general well-being during the pandemic, just to see how they're doing and how they're getting on. And this is now also translating into some sexual health services, sort of continuing that holistic approach with women as they open up and provide more face-to-face -face contact again. Here's Alison Scott to tell us a bit more about how the Wishes Clinic in Edinburgh are trying to provide this. 
So what we tried to do was outreach, um, phone outreach while we were in lockdown, just to support people just phoning up, you know, every week or every fortnight, just for a quick chat, how are you doing? Um, and trying to provide that outreach until we reopened the service. And, you know, we did that as soon as we possibly could, so we could get face to face. And again, we provide, you know, food. We had, you know, food provided by Social Bite and Greg's give us their about to go out of date uh, cakes. And we also had dried and tinned food, um, toiletries, and they're sort of flying off the shelves um, as well. So it's it's not just about health, it's about coming along, seeing a friendly face and, and picking up stuff that you need. It's not just NHS services that have been providing care around sexual health and wellbeing. There's a lot of local workers at a local level in sort of third sector agencies and specialist agencies, peer led agencies that have all been trying to help women around their sexual health needs and wellbeing during the pandemic. So we've heard previously from Jenna up at Vice Versa. And when we spoke to her about sexual health, um, she let us know that she has been providing things like sanitary towels and condoms as well as things like toiletries and food parcels and things in that kind of more holistic way as well. Click also provides condoms via the post as do a number of other specialist agencies including Umbrella Lane who are the Glasgow-based Scotland-wide peer-led network. It's important also to think again about some of those geographical differences in terms of how different areas can have different access to services. Because we've heard that the inclusion team at the Sandyford were actually ring fenced. So none of the staff were taken away to other areas and the premises stayed specifically there for sexual health and wellbeing. I think that that kind of highlights that perhaps there can be differences in terms of focuses and priorities within local health boards and it kind of highlights that there's perhaps a bit of lack of consistency across the whole of Scotland. Here's Emma talking about the importance of the team being ring-fenced and some of the positives that have come from that. G3 and the inclusion team were ring-fenced, we weren't going anywhere, we very early on identified that vulnerable people were going to be hit most by coronavirus and that we needed to keep our service for that group so it, it was there was never any question that that would be paused or stopped or that I or any of my colleagues within that team would be redeployed onto anywhere else so that was good I think that was a that was a really good decision and um, there was never any question of that so in response to um, domestic violence and increased domestic violence we wanted to be present to if there was a presentation anybody who, who disclosed domestic violence and that did happen a lot over the pandemic that our colleagues who that disclosure was made to had our team there to support them and link in with the client who was making the disclosure and support that person. So what this might mean is that women have had very different experiences of access to sexual health care not only now during the pandemic but also prior to the pandemic as well and if you are a woman who doesn't feel like your um, experiences with sexual health care have been reflected in this podcast then we would love to hear from you so that we can hear your voice as part of this podcast series again i would invite any women with lived experience to go to our rise platform on clickmagazine.online where not only have we got a survey looking at women's sexual health needs during the pandemic we've also got surveys on the other needs that were identified by women um, and that we've had podcasts on already as well on that platform 
platform, we've got a needs assessment looking at what women's needs are right now again, and that's going to inform our final episode of ClickCast, which will come in December time. I think going back to this point about kind of different provision, it highlights the real need for a consistent approach across Scotland to sexual health and wellbeing. And that leads us on to our next part of the podcast. What actually needs to change within Scotland to meet the needs of women around sexual health and wellbeing? As we said at the start of this episode, women's sexual health and wellbeing has been impacted globally. Back in March, the World Health Organization issued interim guidance to countries to support them in keeping sexual and reproductive health services open as essential services. But unfortunately, that guidance hasn't been heeded everywhere. So it really highlights that there's a need to make women's sexual wellbeing a priority in order to prevent worsening health inequalities. And the main way of moving this forward is by ensuring that the voices of women are at the core. Given that we know that sexual health services are sometimes the only services that women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex are regularly tapped into, it flags up just how important sexual health services are, and even more so during a pandemic. So it's so important that we value the lived experience of women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex in order to shape services themselves, but also to shape service provision at a national level. We need to understand that the service isn't the expert and this is something that Heather from HIV Scotland is really passionate about. Services do need to realise that actually the service is not necessarily the expert. There are people that have lived experience of many situations that a service necessarily has. So we need to value the expertise of an individual's lived experience. Lived experience. So for us as an organisation, what we aim to do always is have sort of a co-design approach to anything that we do so we ask people you know what is it that you need we don't want to be putting on things that oh we think that this is a good idea and then put forward our idea because actually that's not necessarily what people have asked for and i think there is often what we do see with services is you can see where an idea has come from but it is not based in the thoughts and feelings of the community or the group that you're actually trying to access. So strategically, what needs to be changed is making sure that all services, organizations, policymakers are going to giving groups and asking, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? How would you do this? But more than that is actually putting those things into practice because so often you know that is just a tick box where people have gone and they've said oh we went out to speak to the community and like that's a tick box exercise but then there are individuals there who are not seeing what they have said put into practice and then that breeds distrust with an organization with policymakers with things where if you're not seeing what you have said come to practice and you've not had feedback on it it's like maybe it's not going to get put into practice and there is a good reason but you need to be told by actually that's not the message that we're going through because of this this and this and because there is not that dialogue and 
that back and forth. There are things that need to be improved by all organizations to make sure that when we're talking about community engagement, that it's not just talking one way, that it's going both ways and making sure there is genuine dialogue and action points that are happening. And at the Wishes Clinic in Edinburgh, women's voices are at the core of how that service operates. Wishes regularly carry out evaluation of their service where women can provide anonymous feedback about the support that they've received and the Wishes service has been adapted based on, on this feedback from women. Here's Alison to give a bit more detail on this. What I think might be a good service might be absolute rubbish um, because we're not providing what, what women want and what women need. When we do evaluate women, we've not done it for a while because for a while they were filling in forms for evaluation every time they came in the clinic and it gets a bit tedious for them. But, but we do regularly evaluate and you know, ask how your experience was and how could it be better and are there other things that we could offer. And that was where we went with the sanitary products because you know, some couple of women said sanitary products would be great in the toilets. Um, so we now have them provided by Hey Girls and we also have, a, well I think it's called a dignity box, um, so staff donate toiletries and it's just there and people help themselves and nobody's counting or paying any attention to, to what comes out of that box. So women's voices are, are huge and we can't always deliver on what they would like but we will, we do try and you know, get financial advice for them and benefits advice. You know, these are priorities which they are saying to us that they want. And at Click, through your voice and also through things like Click Magazine and all the different aspects that we have on that site, women have been letting us know about what they think needs to change. One woman who responded to our RISE survey on sexual health and wellbeing gave us a list about the different things that she thinks needs to change in sexual health care. Easy access clinics to go and get tested as this is important. Some women don't feel comfortable going to a GP, so a specific service only for women would be better. A specific service for women who sell or exchange sex. Would not mind if this was staffed by male or female health professionals. A non-judgmental attitude about the work we do. To be knowledgeable and experienced in giving support if positive results for STIs etc are given. As this woman has pointed out, accessibility of specialist services is so important and crucially, accessibility of services is a core part of the Women's Health Plan, which is currently being drafted by the Scottish Government's Women Health Group. So the Women's Health Plan is essentially all about what we're talking about here. It's all about accessibility to services and addressing health inequalities um, that exist within society. So it's actually all about trying to take sexual health services to women. So whilst that is happening within the Scottish Government, there's also another important thing happening um, over at Healthcare Improvement Scotland, and that is the rewriting of the sexual health standards. Here's Alison to tell us a bit more about these pieces of work. One of my other jobs at the moment is working for Scottish Government on the development of the Women's Health Plan and one of the major themes of that is about accessibility for serv to services and addressing health inequalities. Now we can't fix everybody's health inequality unfortunately because that's more complicated and healthcare doesn't address health inequalities. But we can try and look at people who are suffering from health inequalities and make it easier for them to get support with that. 
So hopefully when the Women's Health Plan is published and then implemented, the whole model of delivery of sexual health care will change. And rather than sitting in a building and going, right, well, we're open from nine to five, you're very welcome to make an appointment and come and see us. That will move away and we will be sending staff to places where women are going for childcare, for employment, for substance misuse issues, um, and being a bit more creative, um, taking the, the care and the expertise to groups where women are, and then we can talk to them and signpost them to what is appropriate according to their needs. The HIS, the Health Improvement Standards, um, are about to rewrite the sexual health standards and hopefully they will sit alongside the Women's Health Plan and reflecting a slightly different model and a, and a more focus on outreach and making sure that services are accessible. Um, there is a lived experience group who will be um, answer questions on the Women's Health Plan outcomes and they um, are supposed to include um, the voices of women with lived experience. Of course, women with lived experience don't always want to identify themselves in a public domain as being women with lived experience because it's not something they want to share. Um, and, you know, we can advocate for them, as can the Women's Sport Project, as can SACRO and, and all the other agencies across the country who work with them. And that's not because they can't tell us what they want, but just sometimes they don't want to sit in a big meeting room or on a, a digital Zoom meeting and and say out loud what they think should be better because they don't want to be publicly disclosed like that. So it's getting that balance between feeling safe to say what you want and you know, but being able to, to say what you think is should change and, and would improve services. But I think it's really important that women have options and choices and control over these choices and, and the ability to exercise that that control. Um, you know, we I saw a woman last week who said she was working a lot. She, she's one of the women who said she's trying to accumulate money in case we go into lockdown and and she hates the work she does and she doesn't want to be doing it. And when I asked her, you know, what, what were her dreams? What would she rather be doing? She said oh, she'd really like to work in retail or hospitality. Now, neither of these are really brilliant options at the moment. There's not huge opportunities there for women. So they do feel a bit trapped because they can't they can even start to dream of, of moving out of prostitution at the moment. Here I go back to my holistic care again. Instead of thinking about women as just reproductive organs, we need to think out with the bikini areas of women and addressing their general health needs um, and their social needs as well. So we have an opportunity there to work with women and to look at what their, their needs are. And there, there is certainly an increasing recognition of the importance of addressing those with greatest need and directing those who are anxious and who need testing, but who are actually well and in employment and not victims of gender-based violence, directing their care to somewhere else, um, which is self-directed and where they can do their own testing. And I think moving forward, we need to look at our focusing on those with the greatest need and those with the biggest vulnerability, which again, say so that the Women's Health Plan is, is hugely about that. But I think organisations such as the Royal Colleges and the Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Health are, are also now picking up the importance of 
I don't like the word vulnerable, but but women with complex needs who struggle to to access healthcare. So rather than seeing people who who could go to their GP and see a practice nurse, we need to make sure that the spaces that they have been taken up are now available for women who have complex needs and are at huge risk of all sorts of trauma, psychological trauma, physical trauma, um, and sexual ill health and mental ill health as well. One thing that Adrian Hanna from SDF spoke quite strongly to us about is the real need um, to have a more joined up approach where we're working across sectors and the specific area that SDF are really kind of focusing on around that um, with a sort of new training program that Adrian Hanna has been working on is around sexual health um, and drug services and that's so that those services can kind of share learning and kind of understand the dual stigma really and the dual discrimination that women who sell or exchange sex and use substances face. Something else that Adrian speaks really strongly on is something that Alison has just mentioned as well, and that is around women generally being really, really empowered in discussions around their sexual health. Training is my thing. And what we've done is we've taken the learning from the research and developed training um, for anyone who is working with women who use drugs and who are also selling or exchanging sex. And um, our hope is to get that training out across Scotland again, as I've mentioned. Um, but do you know what would be absolutely lo lovely is if we can keep getting sexual health services and drug services to talk to each other. Um, and ideally, I would like staff from each service to come onto our transactional sex training um, because if you're working in a sexual health service, there is no stigma around sex and relationships. If you're working in a drug service, there's no stigma around drugs. Um, but the two things crossing over can be very challenging for workers. And so I, my hope is that we can really continue to get people talking together and sharing their knowledge and sharing the, the empathy that they have for this particular population um, so that ultimately a woman could go to a drug service and openly and honestly say, I'm not just here because I've got a problem around drug use. I'm here as well to talk about having had to sell sex in order to fund my drug use. And just the same, that a woman could go to a sexual health service and say, look, I need a sexual health checkup. And the reason that I need a sexual health checkup is because I'm exchanging sex in order to fund my drug habit. And that she will be met in both situations with empathy and compassion no stigma, no discrimination, and that she'll be given absolutely the support she needs. And actually, if you think about women who've got children who are using, and the women are using drugs and they're exchanging sex, the stigma there is just the shame as well is what women are saying to us. And the stigma and discrimination they experience, that's huge. We need to challenge that. We need to make sure that sexual health services talk to women about 
the kind of contraception that's available to them. Most women know about the pill. They might know, they might have heard about the implant, but they probably have heard some horror stories about the implant, most of which are not true. And the same with the coils that are available. But I think we shouldn't just assume that this group of vulnerable women will only use long-acting reversible contraception, LARC as it's called. We need to make sure they have the same options as everyone else. It's one of the things, I'll just plug a little bit of work that we've done at SDF. We've produced some e-learning around contraception, particularly for uh, women who use drugs. That talks about all the different forms of contraception as well as LARC, supporting women to start families if that's what they want to do, not assuming that this woman who uses drugs and is selling or exchanging sex, not assuming that she doesn't want to start a family because she might well want to start a family. And I think that's really important that women have that. So that would definitely be a recommendation, I think, going forward. Services need to be sensitive they need to be trauma-informed. And we know that women don't just start using drugs because it feels good. The vast majority of people who use drugs have, will have experienced some kind of trauma in their past. And so we need to make sure that services are aware of that, are empathic and compassionate. Um, and also, especially a service where a woman is going to have a long-term relationship with someone, that that therapeutic relationship is built up with the worker. I think this idea of empowering women being a core part of the women's health plan is really interesting and really important. And it's going to be really interesting seeing how this women's health plan develops, particularly as there's a lived experience expert group as part of that. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on how women's lived experience is going to impact and influence this this plan moving forward. Another key route for women to make their voices heard right now is through the Scottish Government's Equally Safe consultation, which is currently seeking the views and opinions of women with lived experience of selling or exchanging sex in order to shape the legislative and support landscape in Scotland. So if you're thinking about responding to the consultation, but you've got a few wee questions or you would like some support in responding to it, then you can get in touch with us at Click and we'd be more than happy to help. The consultation is really your space for making your voice and your views and your opinions heard. And we'd absolutely love to give you a hand with that if you would uh, like some support. So please do get in touch if you have got any questions. So we're nearing the end then of this uh, six episodes of ClickCast and I just want to end on a call out from Alison at the Wishes Clinic in Edinburgh and Emma from the G3 Clinic in Glasgow for any woman who's considering accessing these services. Please do come and see us. You will always be made very welcome. It's a women-only service. Um, all the staff are female and from Liz, the receptionist, who will greet you and meet you. Um, there's nothing that anybody can say that we haven't heard before so there's no need to to feel embarrassed and if we don't know the answer we will try and find it out and we have people who are very good at making cups of tea and cups of tea are very important and <laughs> um, you know just sitting down having a chat with a cup of tea with somebody generally makes us all feel a wee bit better so yeah even if you don't have a huge sexual health issue or concern everybody's very welcome to come in and we'll try and see what we can do to help if we can't we'll just have a chat and have a have a laugh and see what we can 
see what we can do. So what I would say is um, it would be great to, to see you. Um, we run a, a, a service that I hope you've had the impression of today that is safe to be at. Um, there's not going to be any repercussions or for you if you come in they'll be you'll be safe your information will be safe it will be shared with anybody test and protect have got nothing to do with what i do in g3 so there will be they, they can't access any information from me i wouldn't give them any information about you it's, it's a safe environment and you can disclose or not disclose what you wish to to me and it will be safe um don't be put off coming in. Sexual health is really important. We want to help keep you safe. We want to help you have good sexual health. Um, and um, we welcome you. That's it for episode six of ClickCast. Thank you to all the women and services who contributed to this episode. And thank you as well to you for listening. As always, you can find information on all the services we spoke to in our show notes at clickmagazine.online. We'll be back quicker this time. We'll be back in two weeks with our last episode of this season of ClickCast, where we're going to be reflecting on everything we've discussed in these past six episodes and letting you know where this work and the voices of women that have featured in this work have went and where women's voices have still to go in order to ensure that Scotland's recovery from coronavirus is inclusive of the rights and needs of women who sell or exchange sex. We'll see you then. Thank you very much to Purple Planet for providing the intro and outro music for this podcast. Mm-hmm.